You see, our elders are a little bit older than me. I'm currently going through menopause, and they, they've already went through this season of their life. So, so you know, it's like, you know, I talk to, you know, like my father-in-law, I talk to some of the older guys in my life, you know, they, they're cold all the time, and I get it, you know what I mean? But I'm, in, I'm going through menopause. I haven't got to that point, so... So, you know, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The kids are walking out right now. They're getting ready to go and study for their, for their Bible bowl, so we're giving them a second. Everybody doing good this morning? Feeling good? Worshiping God in spirit and truth? Man, the singing sounds good this morning. I'm glad everybody came out today. It's a little cold and a little windy, but that's okay. It's going to start warming up, right? You know, looking at the extended forecast, we're good to go. You know, as I was, uh, as I'm thinking about uh, today's lesson, before I even get in there, I know we've been talking a lot about the Bible Bowl, but I also want to commend uh, Matt Perry and his daughters, and along with Drew and Kristen and their daughters. Uh, is there anybody else that are going over to Sunset uh, and Taylor? They've been going over there, working with them with LTC, Leadership Training for Christ. Phenomenal program. Uh, when I was at Sunset, I know we did it a lot of years uh, when uh, when my oldest was uh, was still here. And so it's a great program. Those girls are working hard, and they're putting in a lot of effort all to, to what? To, to have a deeper, better relationship with God, deeper understanding, and do, doing all types of activities to glorify God. So praise praise be to them as well, not just our Bible Bowl team, and because uh, all these kids are working hard, and they're the future of this congregation. Even when we hear the babies crying in here this morning, I say, don't worry about the babies crying. You know why? That's the future. Congregations without babies crying, that's not a good thing, right? And so, so never feel bad if, if a little one is crying, right? Because that's the future of this congregation. It's the future of the Lord's church. That's those next generations that we have to raise up. You know, I'm going to get into part two here today. Uh, but I say to you, if you guys remember last week we started, we started looking at, but I say to you, part one, if you want to open up your Bible and follow along, I'm going to bounce around a little bit today, but we're going to be still in Matthew chapter five. And as we get in here to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to see, as I start out today's lesson, that Jesus really does lay down a challenge, right? He lays down this challenge. And I want us to make sure that we understand it, because this challenge sets the tone for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It sets the tone for the rest of the message that Jesus has to say. When you look on the screen behind me, and you'll have it in your Bibles if you're open to Matthew 5, look at verse 20 for a second. Because in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness, what, exceeds, surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom. You will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, kingdom of heaven, kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ. We're talking about one and the same thing. We're talking about the church, right? You will not enter into that kingdom. And so that's the challenge that you're going to see that it not, not only does he lay it down here, but this is going to be the challenge for the rest of of the Sermon on the Mount, that our righteousness, our obedience, must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus began on the level with the scribes and Pharisees, but then he takes it to a whole other level as he talks about those who are wishing to be his followers. Remember, Sermon on the Mount is like the end of the first year, beginning of the second year of his ministry is, is what a lot of people estimate. And so you think about that. Jesus is just becoming known. More and more of the uh, followers are coming. He's getting ready to, as you go through, and you, if you look at it in a chronological order, he's getting ready to, to pick, some, uh, pick, up, uh, pick his apostles, right, his disciples. People are starting to follow him. And he says, if you wish to be a follower of mine, that's cool. I want you to be a follower of mine. He says, but you need to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, what does he mean by that? 
How does, what, what does that look like? You know, and that's what I want us to focus on a little bit here this morning. Because if, if, if followers of Christ do not respect all the commandments of Christ and all the commands that God teaches uh, on a higher level than that of the Pharisees, you're not going to be in. You guys remember, uh, and, and, and even when you look at um, uh, Matthew chapter 5, I think it's like 17 or 18, uh, where Jesus is saying that I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. Heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or one tittle will pass away of the law until all has been fulfilled, right? And so what are we saying here? We know that the reason why Jesus kept calling the, the, the Jewish leadership, uh, the, the uh, leaders of Judaism, hypocrites, is because they had the law of God, but then they, they instituted hundreds of traditions, rules, that they said you must follow. And so many times, some of those uh, different traditions would do what? It would contradict what the scriptures had to say. And there's an example of this. You can look at it later, but it's in Matthew uh, chapter 15. I think it's 1 through 14, the beginning of that chapter, where Jesus and his disciples are, walk, are walking, and, they're, and they're, they start to pluck the heads, and they start to eat with unwashed hands. And the Pharisees say, why do your, why do your disciples eat with uh, transgress the traditions of the elders and eat with unwashed hands? And Jesus says, why do you transgress the, tra uh, the, the commandment of God? Can you imagine that conversation, right? And so you see how many of their traditions, would, their rules would um, transgress the commandments of God. And then Jesus even tells them, he says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. you. You honor me with your lips, right? Lip service, but your hearts are, are far from me, right? You set aside the commandments of God in order to keep your own traditions, and so I love how Jesus calls him to the carpet, but he also lays down the challenge that we're seeing here on the screen behind me, that if you wish to be in the kingdom, your obedience, when I say righteousness, your obedience needs to be on a higher level of that of the, of that of the Pharisees. Stop laying aside uh, my commands and do what I ask you to do. How important is obedience in the kingdom of God? Right? It's, it's of utmost importance. And so, again, the scribes and the Pharisees, you go back and you study out the scriptures, you look at the Gospels, they were thought of, of, of like the elite group, right? They were like top tier, right? Everybody looked to the Pharisees, they looked up to the Pharisees, and they thought, wow, how righteous these men are. And so, those are the individuals who Jesus kept calling uh, hypocrites. They would walk around, they had boxes containing scriptures on, uh, scriptures on their forearms, uh, thinking this made them uh, more righteous. They would walk around with the frontals on their forehead, the little box with scripture in it, right? Uh, like you read about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so they walked around and they tried to look the part, if you will. They tried to seem and try to emphasize, demonstrate uh, the righteousness that was in them. But their righteousness wasn't genuine. And Jesus continued to call them out. And so that's why the challenge is laid down in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, that if your righteousness, your obedience, does not exceed, surpass that of the Jewish religious leaders, you shall not get into the kingdom of heaven. That's what the scriptures plainly see. And according to Romans chapter 10 and verse 3, they try to establish their own righteousness by setting aside the commands of God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' statement here, it must have been a shocking rebuke, no? I mean, how shocking must have those words have been to those scribes and those Pharisees that happened to be in the crowd? And think about that. Never forget that God demands obedience. It's not something that he wants you to consider. It's not something he wants you to say, hey, you know, 
life is hard, you know, it's difficult to, to walk this walk. If you could, if you could, like 7 out of 10, if you could give me 7 out of 10, you know what, I'll be fine with that, right? You know, I know, I know life happens, things happen. Just do the best you can, 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10, you will be good. We'll just call it good. That's not what it says. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 that all will stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of their lives. Not an account of their lives is based on how obedient were they to the word of God. Did you live your life uh, as obedience, right? Did you trust in my promises? Did you uh, put your faith and your trust in me? And, and so you didn't have to worry about uh, the traditions or the rules of man or violating them. So brethren, as we continue to look at this here this morning, we need to really realize that we can easily see that when Jesus came and taught as one having authority, he wasn't setting aside any of the teachings of the laws. He, was, he wasn't setting aside uh, the, the laws or the prophets and in the, in, in the, everything in the Pentateuch. No, he was saying that heaven, heaven forbid. He said heaven, for, heaven and earth will pass away before all is fulfilled, right? Until all is fulfilled. Neither one of those, that, that won't happen. And so instead, he's, he's basically taking things to a higher level right he's taking he wants us to not just look at the command but look at the moral principle behind the command and so jesus is teaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and all who wish to enter must live obedient lives and so last week we looked at we started to talk about the uh the but i say to you kind of passages that we see here on the sermon on the mount we talked about uh, we talked about anger and how those who allow anger to go unchecked in their minds and in the heart and it begins to poison them from the inside out it's like those individuals it's like you have a murderous spirit right those who commit murder are those who allow anger to be left unchecked uncontrollable in your heart and mind to the point that you start to now act out what's already been perpetrated in your mind and so brethren as you look at this now we're going to look at the next aspect matthew chapter 5 we get to verse 27 and 28, and you're going to see this next uh, statement, but I say to you. In 27, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lust uh, for her has already committed adultery in his heart. So brethren, Jesus, he simply just puts emphasis on what he has to say. He puts emphasis on what he has to say, that there is a contrast uh, between what they have heard and what I am telling you. You have heard your elders, your Jewish uh, religious leaders say this, but I say to you, if you wish to enter my kingdom, my eternal kingdom that I came to establish, your obedience must exceed those that you look up to. And so you get, you, you, as we go down this path, Jesus goes behind the act of, of uh, he goes behind the simple act of not committing adultery or the act of, uh, of murder and he legislates the thoughts that precede the act and jesus is starting to let us know that you have to be in control of your mind you have to be in control of your hearts and if you're able to do so then the one who looks at a woman uh, whether married or single with impure lustful desire those are the individuals who are guilty in their minds of already committing adultery or even fornication and so, brethren, you go on and you see what Jesus is teaching here. It refers to an intentional, a conscious desire to do what? To satisfy our lusts. And so, once you allow the anger and the jealousy and the resentment 
to reside in your mind long enough, there are those who are willing to go so far as to do what? Commit the act. And if you allow the lustful uh, passion uh, and the arousal of your thoughts in your mind unchecked, eventually many people get to a point where they're willing to carry it out. It goes from the sin of the mind now to the sin of the action. And Jesus is saying we as Christians, as his followers, must not only look at the, the act of sin, but we also must check ourselves and check our minds with the word of God. And so the Jews, they did not apply the commandment that thou shalt not commit adultery. They only looked at the outward act. They didn't consider the thoughts that led to the outward act. I want you to see a couple passages of scripture. In Proverbs chapter 6, if you look on the screen behind me, it says, what does it say there? Do not desire her beauty in your hearts. Do you see a correlation between Matthew chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 6? Do not, uh, do not desire her beauty. He's saying do not uh, allow yourself to have those lustful, arousal, kind of passionate thoughts about the beauty of another man or another woman. He says, uh, or let, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. And that's the whole point that Jesus is making in chapter 5 of Matthew. He's telling us that we have to, we have, to have mental discipline. And if you have mental discipline, then you're not going to allow your heart uh, and your mind to be consumed with thoughts because of the beauty of another. You guys remember what Peter had to say. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14. This is in context, it's in a larger uh, rebuke of basically fleshly desires. But he says that many are those who have eyes full of adultery. What does he mean by having eyes full of adultery? Full of adultery is talking about, yeah, you may have not committed the outward act yet, but you might as well have because you've already completed the process in your mind. Now you're just waiting for an opportunity. And so, brothers and sisters, we know that Peter tells us that having eyes full of adultery never cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed as if they were accursed children. So, brothers and sisters, the thing that is condemned is not the look of admiration. It's not a sin for me to see Butchie and say, wow, Butchie's beautiful. She looks beautiful today. That's not the sin. It's not the sin of having attraction. Attraction's not sin. Because didn't God uh, create us to be attracted to the opposite sex? So when you first meet somebody, the first thing that usually draws you to somebody is, well, what? A physical attraction. Right? And then you get to know them as a person. You get to know their, their heart. You get to know their mind. You get to know their desires. Right, And then you start to build on that. And the attraction goes, well, it can either continue or it might subside. But that's not the sin. The sin is when somebody looks at somebody and says, man, that, that's nice. And then that nice goes from that to, well, wherever you want to take it. And now all of a sudden you take it to places that are impure, unholy. And so we need to make sure that we are, uh, we are at all times displaying mental discipline. A murder begins in the heart as well as adultery. Murder and adultery begin in the heart, as the scripture reading said that, you, uh, that, uh, that was read here this morning uh, by Charlie. So Jesus lays down a principle, and this principle goes for both sexes. It's not just for males, and it's not just for females, it's for both sexes. Fornication is the lewdness of unmarried people, as adultery is the lewdness of married people. And so the Bible goes behind the sinful action, and, he st and it starts to characterize the first formation of an evil purpose is, is a heart that is full of sin. 
And so Jesus is showing us what? He's showing the importance of mental discipline, which begins by allowing the Word of God to transform our hearts, to transform our minds. Righteousness begins in the mind. Righteousness begins with the individual wanting to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Then they take the Scriptures, they take the Word of God, because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And it, well, how can you obey Jesus' commands if you know not his commands? Where do you find the word of God, the commands of Christ? You find them in the New Testament. So all those who want to give their lives to Christ and they want to be uh, as Christ, they start to take the word of God and they start to transform their lives inwardly and then it'll display an outward, uh, it eventually will display outwardly. And so it's the same last week as it is this week. And so, brethren, God created males and females to be attracted to one another. But when our thoughts go from he's attractive to, or he or she's attractive to then lusting after them, we have, uh, we have transgressed the command of God. And as followers of Christ, there, uh, as followers of Christ, this is where we must draw a line. We must draw a line in the sand. You guys ever hear, you know, drawing that line in the sand kind of mindset, that kind of analogy? As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to draw a line in the sand here between proper Christian behavior, proper Christian conduct, and then the lust of the flesh. Because we know that Jesus says that there's going to be a lot of Christians, they're going to come to me, and they're going to tell me about the great things they did, and he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. Well, why is Jesus going to get to the point to where he says, I don't even know who you are? Because your righteousness never exceeded that of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's that challenge that was laid down in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. If your obedience does not uh, supersede, uh, uh, surpass that of the, uh, of the Jewish religious leaders, you're not getting in. Those are, his, are, are those words difficult to understand? And it's, it's, it's easy to understand because you can see how Jesus was calling the, uh, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the foxes, the snakes, right? And so as you continue to follow on through the scriptures, you guys remember uh, Job, in Job chapter 31 and verse 1. We, we understand, brethren, that righteousness begins in the mind, right? It's that little thing that we call self-control. You know, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. But then I think about Job in Job 31 and verse 1. And Job says, he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze upon a virgin? Is there a correlation between Matthew chapter 5 and what Jesus is saying and, and Job 31? And what Job is saying? He's saying, why and how could I possibly gaze upon a virgin with a mindset full of lustful desires? Because I have made a covenant with my eyes. And so if he does gaze upon the virgin with impure, improper thoughts, he's done what? He's broken the covenant that he's made with himself. He's broken the covenant that he's made with God. And so when we enter into a relationship with God, we enter into a covenant relationship. We're telling God that we'll no longer live for our desires. I now live for you and for obedience and to your glory. So brothers and sisters, that's that line in the sand that we must draw. We must make sure that we are people who are striving for pure and proper Christian behavior and not for the desires of the flesh. Job would not let this happen, and Christians also need not let this happen. And then you get to, as we get ready to close this down in a couple minutes, you get to verse 29, Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. And Jesus says 
that if your right eye makes you stumble, he says, tear it out, pop it out, for it would be better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be cast into the fiery hell. Well, brethren, the right eye and the right hand were considered precious to the Jews, but not just the Jews, they're considered precious to all mankind. And then in uh, Matthew 5 and 30, it's a similar thought process. He says, if your right hand causes you to steal, cut it off. If it's causing you to stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into the fiery hell. Brethren, the, the point that Jesus is making here, that it's better to lose the dearest thing in your life than to lose one's soul. Matthew 26, 16, or 16 and 26 says, For what will a man profit if he uh, forfeits his soul? What can a man profit if he forfeits his soul? Jesus is talking about the seriousness. The seriousness in which one should pursue righteousness. The seriousness in which one should pursue obedience. And if you don't pursue it in the type of measure that succeeds that of the scribes and Pharisees that you've read about in Scripture, you're not getting in. He says you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. Remember that Jesus is speaking metaphorically, though. I don't want anybody lopping off hands. I don't want anybody plucking out eyes. Because if this was taken literally, then the church would become a hospital and a physical therapy ward. Right? We're not talking about this. Is, he's talking metaphorically here. Jesus is just letting you know about the seriousness of the situation if you don't have your mind in control. If you allow the thoughts of your mind and your heart to go unchecked and you allow them to be unfiltered and just you allow all the negativity. You allow all the lustful desires. And so remember, lustful doesn't always mean sexual. Lustful just means strong desire. Your strong desire could be for anything. Right? And so, again, as we break all this down, Jesus, he's letting us know the seriousness of the situation. But when you look at verse 29 and 30, the reason why I said uh, that he uses those, and it's my thought process as, as to why he uses the right eye and the right hand. Did you know that a vast majority of the, of the human population is right-handed and right-eye dominant? Well, what happens... Let, let me give you an experiment. I want you to go home today, and I want you to, if you've ever uh, been injured, and you normally use your right hand, but now you have to use your left hand, I want you to go home and do various things that you normally do on a daily basis with your left hand. And I want you to see how awkward the left hand is to use. Why? Because we don't use that side of the brain. And so I could throw a baseball 100 yards with my right hand, I'm not going to make it very far with my left hand. I know it's, it's, it's awkward, it's, it's full, it's, it just looks, it looks bad, it doesn't work so well. So try to use your left side, your left hand for a little bit, and not your right hand. Do various things. You know, you'd be surprised uh, how, how different that is. But that's the point that Jesus is making. He says, the right eye, the right hand, it's precious to you. But it would be better to lop it off and pluck it out than for you to enter into hell with all your faculties, with all your limbs. And so, brethren, as we close this lesson down, we must always be in control of what? Control of our tongues. We must be in control of our emotions. We must be in control of our thoughts. We need to make sure that we're not spewing derogatory terms or comments. We need to make sure that all that we do is to God's glory. Because that as Christians, that as followers of Christ, is how we are to conduct ourselves. For there is no man and no woman so beautiful that is worth going to hell over. 
There is no thing in this life, no situation so important that you lose your Christian composure and maybe take a chance in going to hell over. You see, brethren, God wants you to understand the seriousness of the situation. He wants you to understand, brethren, that he is calling you as his followers to a higher standard. And that higher standard is met if you're willing to be obedient. If you're willing to do the thing that the Pharisees and the scribes, who were thought as a top tier, right? They were thought of next level. And yet God says, you guys are pathetic. You're pathetic and you're hypocrites. And you ain't getting in, right? How do we know that? Because those are literally the plain words that Jesus uttered. And so we have to do better. And you see, brethren, I think at all various times in life, we're at different points in different places in our life. I remember Jim was doing a Bible study, I think it was uh, maybe last week, uh, or no, it was two weeks ago maybe, and he asked the question, you know, which one are you? Uh, you know, at this point in your life, I said both. You know what I mean? It really just depends on the day. Me and me and Drew were talking about this. You know, whether you, whether I'm that Pharisee or whether I'm that tax collector or, or the the man. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, that bowed his head, unwilling to even look up at God. Right? You, some days I'm the one. Some days I'm the other. Sometimes I'm both in the same day. It just depends on the moment. Why? Because we're sinners in need of a Savior. So when Thomas gets up here and he talks about the, you know, gives his uh, his talk for the Lord's Supper. I love what he has to say. Because you should never get to a point in your Christian faith that you forget you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Brethren, I'm a sinner, and I'm in need of a Savior. And I thank God every day that his blood will cleanse over me if I go to God with, and asking for forgiveness with, with godly sorrow. If I, if I have remorse, godly remorse, godly sorrow, we know the scriptures say that he'll forgive us. So as long as he sees that we are continuing to put him and his kingdom and, his, uh, and the, uh, the glory of the Father before our own desires. And that we are living so obediently unto his word where we're trying to make everything, put everything uh, in, uh, I guess, judgment to his word. Does that make sense? And so that's what we need to do here today. That's what we need to do as we move forward. Brethren, as I close this down, if you're... Uh, maybe you've been on the fence for a while, and maybe you've been wanting to give your life to Christ, but you haven't decided to do that yet. Brother, there's no better, than, no better today than today. Today is the day that you, ha you should put on Christ in baptism, receive the forgiveness of your sins, God adds you to the kingdom, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which seals us for the day of redemption. Brother, if that is your desire here this morning, come forward. It says, Lewis sings a song of invitation.